Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Media. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. That's the name of the show. Did you I just forget the name of the podcast? It. No. Did you forget the name of the podcast because you did the thing where you don't write your intro into your script and then you think you can handle it and then you get there and you're like, whoa, yes. I have to do this thing. Yeah. Yes. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. And this is a podcast about history and some of the people in it that I think were cool. And this is like extra cool special week because it's the first half of a four-parter about the people who are the reason I started doing the show. Or rather specifically the reason I like got really interested in history is this because of this particular story. But the other person who really likes history, well, there's actually two other people who like history on this here recording one of them, I'm, I'm not even going to tell you who the guest is yet. First, I'm going to tell you about the producer. Because why is the producer always after the guest? Solid um, question. That's Sophie. Sophie's should, the producer. I have seniority. I should be introduced first. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You should be before me. <laughs> but our guest is Mia. Hey, Mia. Hello. Glad, glad to be back for more of this. I'm very, very excited. Yeah. Okay. So it's... oh. And our audio engineer is Ian. Everyone wants to say hi to Ian. Hi, hi Ian. Ian. Hi, Ian. Our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. And this is the part two. And it'll maybe make sense if you don't listen to part one, but not really. And don't do that. If you have a brain like me, like, like I can't even watch. I can't read comic books or watch anime because there's too much of it. And I have to start at the beginning of things. And if there's no actual through line, it's it's over. Like, I can't read a comic book because there's no start. Because it goes... Multiverses break my head. Is this a, I, I think I'm unique in this. But, but linear history with Margaret Kiljoy. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you have a different brain and you want to listen to only part two. You know what you could do? Put down this... Next week, start with part three... And then go to part one, and then part four, and then part two. If you want to have a anime experience. Or of, don't. Everyone's going to get so mad at me for talking shit. Anime is great. It's beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with it. If, 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 if this is the experience you're seeking out, go watch Bakano. Okay, great. Thank you. We'll get this experience. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, we are talking about Argentinian anarchists and the labor movement, and we're building up to a wild strike from 1920 to 1922 in the rural parts of Argentina and Patagonia. But we are building up because there's so much cool shit that came before it. Last time we talked about the bakers unions who sell little cannons that are that you can eat. They're pastries. I wonder if they make vegan versions. I wonder if there's anywhere in the US those. Anyway, I got really distracted because I haven't eaten enough pastries today. <laughs> but where we last left off there was a guy who just exploded. And now we're going to go back in time to talk about how he got exploded. <laughs> his name was Falcon. And the person who blew him up is named Simon. Simon Radowitzki. This is not the pacifist bomber. I promised you at the very beginning of this episode on Monday. <laughs> that guy is still coming. 
this is another cool as fuck bomber. <laughs> this is this is really the great thing about early 20th century anarchism is like you get you there is no conceivable world in which you can say the bomber and it's yeah. a specific guy. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's funny too because like the tiniest percentage of anarchists in the early 20th century were actually bombers and then not an incredibly large percentage of the anarchists in the early 20th century were cool with the bombers. Yeah. <laughs> but this one everyone was cool with, and I think everyone will understand why as I go through his story. Simon Radowitsky uh, is a Ukrainian Jew. He was born in Ukraine in 1891. His dad wanted him to get a good education, so sent him off to school so he could get a good education. Uh, there was a problem. They were poor as fuck. So by the time he was 10, he had to drop out of school. Um, he dropped out of school. He went and become an apprentice blacksmith. By 14, he was a factory worker. I don't actually know what happened with the blacksmith. I'm like, it feels like apprentice to a blacksmith is a better line of work than factory worker. It might have just been the Industrial Revolution and poverty and whatever. It worked out well for him because the factory workers, they were unionized. So he is 14 when he goes to his first strike. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, you know what God. happens when you strike in Ukraine in, you know, 1904 or whatever? Um, they shoot everyone? Question well, mark? Well, okay, so think a little more medieval. Oh, cavalry charges? He got cut across the chest with a saber by a Cossack when he ah, was 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who was probably on a horse. Yeah. Oh. Or at least famously, they were horse-related folks. It took him six months of bed rest to recover. I would argue that it's not the kind of shit you forget, being cut across the chest oh. while trying to strike. Then, still like 14 or 15 or something, he gets out and he's like, you can't keep this man down. That is the one <laughs> thing that you will learn about this man. He gets out, you know, he, he recovers six months bed rest, 14 or 15 years old. He does four months in prison for passing out leaflets. In incredible, incredible government over here, by the way. Like, real, real great stuff happening. It's like, yeah, we put this guy in prison for four months for passing out leaflets. He was checks notes 14. 14. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Great, great things happening in, in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, totally. And there's some blurriness with this next chunk of timeline because it says he was born in 1891 and then, like, it kind of implies he was like 18 by the time of the 1905 revolution, which does not line up. The math does not work on that. Yeah. He was probably 14 or 15 by the time of the 1905 revolution. I don't know how much we've covered that particular revolution. Um, it's one of the closest revolutions in history, but the when you have a like close when you have a successful one like 12 years later, people don't remember the the almost as well. Yeah. It's it's also just like a deep like okay. I'm going to do a very slight tangent. One of the weird revolutions that was originally led by a police informant. Whoa, really? Yeah, yeah. I gotta. The, the I haven't covered this deeply enough yet. It is. It is wild. I don't know. Some sometimes police and sometimes police informants screw up and accidentally do the revolution, anyways. Um, so, oh yeah. <laughs> the agent provocateur who like make. throws a brick and then the brick causes the entire yeah, empire to it's, collapse. <laughs> it's one of these things where it's like this is like the other thing. Um, you know, it was like, like wh why everyone really wanted to burn down uh, the Office of the Secret Police in 1917. It's like partially it was because people hated him and partially because a lot of people were like, oh shit, we need to destroy the records that show that I was collaborating this whole time because now now oh, we've actually done the thing. They actually changed. They actually, it wasn't a provocateur working for the government that brought down the government. It was a provocateur who was like, never mind, I've changed my mind, overthrow the fucking Oh, government. no, 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 sorry. This, this is a different. This, this actually was someone who was working with the government and they were trying oh, okay. to like do a protest to like let off steam and then that just turned ah, into... Ah, and he didn't want to get caught. Okay, okay. I One of these days, I'm going to ruin it by telling the plot of this story that I've wanted to write for 20 years. It's going to be about two provocateurs one of whom is a fed and one of whom is a local cop and then they fall in love and then they convince oh, each no. other of anarchism and then they die in a horrible romeo and juliet style like a gunfight <laughs> with the police because like they finally admit that they're cops to each other but then it's like too late the feds are onto them anyway one day let me since um netflix listens to this show the, the entity netflix listens on a regular basis let me write this as a tv show so 
1905 revolution does not work. Rintrell behind me is growling upset about the failure of that revolution. And he is forced into exile at 18 years old because of his role in the 1905 revolution. I don't know whether he like, I don't, I like I said, don't know the math here. So also just like not, you do not want to be Jewish in anywhere controlled by Russia after that revolution. Terrible time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Getting out. Good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to, don't worry, there's going to be anti-Semitism in this <laughs> oh episode. However, Ugh. it's not left anti-Semitism this time, unlike some of the pogroms that were the result of the 1905 revolution. He goes to Argentina. He finds the anarchists, and he gets to work as a mechanic. He was in the crowd on May 1st when Falcon's guys were like, hey, let's like murder a bunch of people and like shot the crowd up, right? So he survived this massacre. And then Falcon was like, you know whose fault this is? Can you guess? Oh, you we just talked about it. No. The Jews. Oh, the, it's what, the Jews' you? fault. Oh, okay. You know, that, that, yeah, yeah. okay. I, I, I was being too optimistic about yeah. uh, the police. Specifically, it's the Jews from Russia. And so you have this Russophobia, I don't know if that's a word, that ties into the anti-Semitism. They're entirely conflated at this point. So... As a Jew from Russia, Simon is like, oh, fuck no, fuck this guy, right? And it did not help that Ramon Falcon gave his cops fucking sabers and called them Cossacks. Ah! So <laughs> out of the frying pan, this kid went. <laughs> oh, God. You cannot escape the saber-wielding Cossacks if you are a Ukrainian Jewish anarchist at the turn of the 20th century. Now... He's not a violence for violence kind of guy or kid, really. He's 18 or 19 at this point. He regularly talks about how anarchists should use as little violence as possible, which is overall, but not universally, the style for anarchists at the time. Not that they are pacifists, but and not that they should use no violence, but that violence should be used as little as possible. And about this, I want to quote Malatesta because whenever I have an excuse, I like to quote Malatesta. It, this is Malatesta writing about 13 years earlier, but I think it sets a lot of the tone and understanding for um, 17 years earlier. So, quote, We must do as the surgeon who cuts when he must, but avoids inflicting unnecessary suffering. In a word, we must be inspired by the sentiment of love for people, for all people. It appears to us that the sentiment of love is the moral source, the source of our program. It appears to us that only by conceiving the revolution as the grand human jubilee, as the liberation and fraternization of all, no matter what class or what party they have belonged to, can our ideal be realized. That's the page that Simon Radowitzki is on, as best as I can tell, because he's not, it comes up a bunch of times that he's like, he's not a like Obama's first option guy, right? Yeah. And I want to say, we were talking about earlier, anarchists have this reputation of being like the mad bombers of history, but I would like to invite the listener to compare the number of bombs used by the advocates of nation states versus the number of bombs used by the opponents of nation states. Like, yeah, like there, there are individual, like there have been individual bombing runs in the past decade that have dropped more bombs than every anarchist in history. Like, yeah. I, it's... <laughs> I yeah. will bet money <laughs> that the Israeli government did so in the last week while we were recording this. Yeah. Yeah. There were absolutely unethical bombings by anarchists in Argentina around this time. I, I read about one, and but then again, I read this from a very right-wing source, and so it's hard to know. Yeah. Right? Um, there's like one where they claim that the anarchist tricked a kid into bombing himself. Um, I don't know, because there's no other real evidence of like suicide bombing or anything like that being used by anarchists yeah and that and that's like not a and that's the thing but like suicide bombing is a is a relatively recent thing like it's not really an anarchist thing if you're an anarchist you're trying to throw the bomb and get away assuming you're doing bomb throwing yeah actually except our pacifist but we'll talk about him but he wasn't a suicide (laughs) bomber either he was like a like non-violent civil disobedience guy only with violence (laughs) but he's later we'll talk about kurt wilkins next week so Simon, he waited, Falcon was at this like funeral for some state guy and Simon was like, all right, I'm waiting along this route. Uh, He knew he would be traveling on and he threw a bomb into Falcon's coach, killing Falcon and his secretary, his like, not 
administrative assistant, but you know, the whatever. Like, anyway. like adjunct? Yeah, it was some, it, the, the official name here is secretary, but he's like another military commander yeah. guy. Um, I should have written down his title besides that, but I didn't. Simon did not make it far before he was caught. And the state wanted to execute him. Uh, un- understandably so. Like, I get why <laughs> yeah, the state I mean, wants to kill you him. Know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but his defense finds his birth certificate. And they're like, hey, he's only 18. He is not eligible for the death penalty in Argentina. Just huh. life in prison. Which means... 1909 Argentina has more humane treatment of young offenders <laughs> yeah. than 2023 yeah. in the United States oh, of America. God. Oh, God. He gets life in prison and each year, and he has a, they, they, they fuck with him. Each year near the anniversary of his assassination, he's put into solitary with only bread and water. And the government flips the fuck out and they stop pretending to be any sort of democracy. They declare a state of emergency over one fucking guy. Well, I guess two fucking guys. Uh, They fill the jails. They shut down every union they can. And whenever this shit happens, whenever I read about this stuff in history, it goes one of two ways right away. Most often, people get scared away from radical politics and and people get mad at the bomber and are like, hey, you fucked up the movement by exploding a guy who kind of deserved exploding, but it still wasn't a good idea and fuck you, right? That is like the most common result of people explosion. Not the workers of Argentina in 1909. They're like, this is our guy. The La Protesta, the newspaper, they're forced underground, but they publish a moral justification illegally. Uh, Fora, the, the syndicalist union, is also now underground. And they put out a pamphlet called, or they're not syndicalists, they're anarcho-communists, sorry, someone's going to be mad. They put out a pamphlet <laughs> called Our Defense, and then they defend Radowitzki. And, and this is the big federation of labor unions, right? Um, this is like if the AFL-CIO is like, no, it's our guy about like, I don't know, whatever. Um, and so they refuse to let him become isolated and they refuse to disclaim him. And by doing this, they make their movement stronger through a period of repression. He becomes a central figure in the movement while he's in prison. There's rallies and campaigns to free him, some of which are the let's ask nicely variety, other which others are the we're going to revolt and throw general strikes until you free him variety. <laughs> and some of them are the like, well, we're just going to break him out of prison variety. <laughs> <laughs> Diversity of tactics, everyone. Yeah. All three combined, to spoiler, they get him out of prison eventually. And I think it takes all three. And I'll talk about why. He spends his time in prison. He doesn't like keep his head down, right? He's not like, oh, it's time to study. And, you know, no, he's like, he is at the front of every prisoner strike and demonstration. He's in the worst prison in the, yeah, no, he's, he's, I always, I like Kurt Wilkins, the bomber we're going to talk about next week so much that I've always kind of been like, ah, Simon, he's just another guy, whatever, you know? And then like when I deep dived him, I'm like, oh, this guy fucking rules. Yeah. So he's in Argentina's Siberia, which is a Tierra de Fuego, the, the bottom, and it's bad, and it's the place where literally most prisoners die. They're like, hey, go here and fuck off and die, you know? He doesn't die. He is routinely sexually assaulted by the warden. When comrades send him money, he immediately just gives it freely to all of his fellow prisoners. So all of his fellow prisoners like him because he's helping them all out. <laughs> he's at the front of everything. Yeah. He's like, everyone's commissary. Yeah. And I just want to follow his story to its conclusion. It, it, he, he's not central to the, the strike, but I think having a sense of the Argentinian movement is really useful. At one point, the anarchists smuggle him onto a ship and get him out of Argentinian waters, like a small smuggler sailing ship, right? But the Chilean Navy catches them and he goes back to prison and he spends two... <sighs> I know. He spends two years in a windowless cell on half rations Ooh. as a result of this. After 20 years in prison, in 1930, the movement kept going for 20 fucking years. He's released because of all the p- pressure, um, and then he gets deported. They're like, they're like, you have to get the fuck out of here. But like, the constant pressure in the streets and the media made it, the government was like, we just want to get rid of you instead of having this living martyr on our hands, yep, yep. right? And one woman, more than anyone else, is responsible for freeing him. And we're going to talk about her. We're going to do a whole separate section on her because she rules so much, too. 
Um, this Hell is just yeah. like this is just like the the fucking two weeks of like all my favorite characters are just all in this fucking story. And um, now he wasn't like, oh man, I got out of prison and got deported. It's time to live a quiet life. Right? Oh god, <laughs> no, no, not Simon. He, you know, he's now probably thirty eight or so. He's deported to Uruguay and. And then he gets deported. Wait, they sent him to Uruguay. Yeah, and oh, then he no. gets deported from there. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, that seems like a that seems like a terrible idea. If you, oh, we got we got to send a revolutionary somewhere. Uh, we're gonna send him to Uruguay. Like, yeah. amazing, good, great work, guys. Like nothing yeah. could possibly <laughs> incredible repressive apparatus. And th- this is actually uh, there's a whole lot of like cross, especially Argentina and Uruguay and also Chile, um, where there's like a lot of revolutionaries moving back and forth, especially in the like. Like, one day we're going to do a whole thing after the, like, 1920, 22 thing. Then there's this whole period where, like, all the anarchist bank robbers are having their, like, heyday. And you have all this, like, yeah. this, like Robin Hood shit happening <laughs> everywhere. And it's all cross-border. But that is not even... That's a one day we're going to talk about that. So, he goes to Uruguay and he gets deported from there from uh, trying to overthrow their dictator. <laughs> and then 1936 happens, where famously nothing happened of interest to the anarchists and or... Uh, friend of the pod, the Spanish Civil War. Don't worry, you knew I was going to bring up the Spanish Civil War. Maybe I already did last week. I can't remember. He's like, "All right, let's fucking go." Right? He's in Hell his forties, yeah. and he's he he goes there, and he doesn't just like go be like, "Hey, I spent twenty years in prison. I can just happily live in Anarchist City for a while, like maybe help <laughs> with some of the organization." No, he like immediately goes to the front, and he volunteers with the Anarchist Twenty Eighth Division, and he goes to the front, and. I've read a couple different versions of this. The one that I find the most convincing, they're not they're not really like contradicting, but there's like different little weird details I'm trying to piece together. The best I can tell, he's like, I don't want to kill people anymore. I killed two people. I'm good. So I'm going to become a truck driver and drive food to the front and like straight up into the trenches, still absolutely putting himself wow. in harm's way. Yeah. And you know what will also deliver food directly to where you're struggling against cap this is actually technically true they will absolutely deliver food to where you're struggling against capitalism if you i don't know who the ads are going to be if one of them is a food delivery service you can use it or not use it like whatever There's i no feel like we've had a couple judgment. of those recently so that'd be okay very, very yeah. good. They, they, they should be pleased with this yeah um they're exactly like simon red simon radowitzky um well, actually, I would say that the like Uber drivers and UPS drivers and shit are all rad as shit. So, yeah, yeah. there's there's a bunch of, uh, or at least last I checked, half a decade ago, there were a bunch mm-hmm. of syndicalist Uber drivers in Indonesia. So, yeah. I don't know yeah. if any of you are listening. Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then if there's any ads for anything else, they were a mistake. And please direct all complaints to our complaint department at IRateOK on X. Ew. Is it more fun to call it X? See, in my mind, I like every time I say X, I feel like I'm making fun of Elon Musk because it's such a fucking crappy name. Or is it more fun to dead name X by calling it Twitter so that he can throw a fit and be like, how come no one will call it by his chosen name, even though he's a transphobe who hates his kid? Just call it that am, am one fucking website. Okay. On that one fucking website, we that's where our complaint department is. Here's some ads. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. And we're back, and we were just saying a bunch of legally actionable stuff that we're going to cut out of the podcast. <laughs> so, Yay! All right. So he survives the war. He flees to France, and where he's imprisoned in a concentration camp like all the other Republicans fleeing. And this yep. is, by the way, not, um, not the Nazi collaborationist government. This is the France before it surrendered. However, well, is, Isn't this the popular front? Or yeah, is it, was the popular so, yeah. front out by then? I think oh, so, but I'm God. a little bit mixed. And it's... It's a little bit messy because the word concentration camp has, um, it's not, it's bad. It's always bad, but there is a scale here, right? There's a put everyone in one place thing where we fit. God, I'm really not trying to defend this. And then there's the Nazi thing, right? Anyway, uh, he's put in a fuck. It's not good what happens to him, but it's not, he's not specifically escaping a Nazi death camp, Right. He somehow gets the fuck out of this. I don't know if they let him go or what. And he gets himself off to Mexico where he spends the rest of his life. Not just like, like he's not, he spends the rest of his life where he, he writes for anarchist papers. He spends about half the time in the hospital because my man had a fucking hard life, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he spends the rest of his time organizing mutual aid. And he, he works sending care packages to refugees who are escaping Europe, right? And or internally displaced within Europe because of World War II. He works in a toy factory and he lives in a bear attic. And he he dies of a heart attack on the factory floor on February 29th, 1956. He's in his late 60s. But you know what they say? And by they, I mean me, I'm making this up right now, but it's true. Anyone who dies on leap year day doesn't really die. So I'm sure ah. he's still out there passing out toys to kids, giving money to prisoners, avoiding killing someone unless they really, really just need to get exploded. Yeah. Okay, that's Simon Radowitzki. I really like him. There's someone else I really like too. Uh, this would be a good transition to like plugs, but it's not. It's uh, just another historical person. This is about one of the people who fought for his freedom. This is probably the woman who secured his freedom. And her name is Salvadora Carmen Medina on Rubia. Salvadora was born in Buenos Aires in 1894 to the Spanish immigrants. Her father's job, which is a classic 19th century working class job, is died young. Her mother's job. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was thanks. funny. Thanks. <laughs> Proud of that one. And her mother's job was rural schoolmistress. She moved to the city of Rosario and gets involved into her two main lifelong interests, which are anarchism and theater. She also becomes a teenage single mom. By the time she's 19, she goes to Buenos Aires and she's working at the anarchist newspaper La Protesta that I keep talking about. And she's publishing her writing in a bunch of other papers and gets involved in 1914 in the Free Radowitzki campaign. By the time she's 20, she marries this other writer guy. She's just like, oh, like we're both like cool writers and we're in love. We're going to totally get married. And um, and he's actually good. This is usually this is where oh, a woman's hey, story yeah, goes I was, bad. <laughs> I was waiting for the Racing drop. myself. <laughs> no, no, he's okay. He's like not as cool as her, but she like keeps him in line. But then instead something happens. This is why she's one of my favorite historical anarchists to talk about to some of my friends. This guy that she marries soon starts and is running the most popular daily paper in the city called Critica, which at its peak is selling 700,000 papers a day. Jesus. This isn't the anarchist paper. This is just like basically she marries the guy who starts the New York Times, right? And 
she just becomes this like rich bitch anarchist and she stays an anarchist her whole life despite her success and i fucking love it for her so she's just like helping the cause whenever anarchist and like so like anarchist papers get shut down all the time like la, la protesta is like constantly being shut down right so she hires the editors all the anarchist editors over at critica so this amazing the daily paper is like half run by anarchists <laughs> which as someone who works for iHeartRadio, I feel like we might yeah. all appreciate. <laughs> One time, a bunch of seamstresses are like economically fucked. I think they lose a strike or something. So she drives her Rolls Royce down to where they live and just starts handing out sewing machines to the women in the crowd out of her Rolls Royce. Amazing. <laughs> And her, her husband is like radical on his own, right? But he's kind of like catch-all radical, right? When I mean, he's like, and so he's like, at one point he's like, oh, let's let Critica become a communist party paper. And she just shuts that shit down. He's like, <laughs> no, no, we will not do that. I am an anarchist. And she regularly runs feminist columns, the occasional anarchist piece in the paper. It's, it does not become an anarchist paper, right? And then during the, the tragic week, which... We'll get to, sadly. Um, she's like standing on top of coffins of dead anarchists screaming to crowds when the police break up their funeral. And this is like one of the most powerful women in the country, you know? All the while, she's getting famous as a poet and a playwright. She writes hit anarcho-feminist plays and it, she writes an aristocratic romance novel that's like a feminist critique of society. And also, she's just really into getting high on ether. I don't know. Nothing has changed about anarchists. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the anarcho feminists are writing plays now. and getting high. Like, no, nothing yeah. has ever changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to shoot tin types, which means I used to get high on ether a lot. Not on purpose, but I was always like, why do I always feel so relaxed after a day of shooting tin types? And the answer is I stick my head into this, like, because you have to develop them on the spot. You know, and I used to go to these um, steampunk conventions and like shoot photo, like tintype portraits. And that was how I made my money for a while. And, and so you like stick your head into a steamer trunk with like a hood over it. And just like, <laughs> um, I'm not going to live very long. I don't even like drugs. That's the funniest thing about all this shit. <laughs> but anyway, so. And during all of this, she does not drop out of the campaign for Simon Radowitzki. She also doesn't change her tune about how it should get done. I can't find exactly how she orchestrated the following two escape attempts. <laughs> All I have is this quote from a Libcom article. Quote, on two separate occasions, Salvadora dispatched employees of the paper to orchestrate his escape from Ushuia Penitentiary. <laughs> literally the paper employees not even like a random anarchist like you're getting paid for that work imagine being that employee is like yeah hey my boss my boss just told me to go free this anarchist from prison is like oh you you too you're the second person who's got asked to do this this time (laughs) good luck i like i assume I I, I want to offer her the benefit of the doubt. I assume it was some of the anarchist employees, right? Yeah. I mean, and I, I assume the most they wanted to do it. If they didn't, she's being a little sketchy. <laughs> but, or she's just like planning other escape attempts and she's sending them the employees to be like, go interview the chief of police today and I'm not going to tell you why. Or, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> Both of these ventures are discovered and Simone is left to languish behind bars. I have no information about whether or not the employees were arrested or if they were paid paid hazard pay. (laughs) But where direct action failed, constant pressure, which I believe included all this direct action, succeeded. It helps when the woman who half runs the country's most popular newspaper has been involved in your campaign since she was a fucking teenager. It was her direct pressure on the president that got him to set Radowitzki free. And it was a relative of her husband, this is why I'm like, her husband's still cool, right? Who received the the living martyr upon his exile in Uruguay. So it was like, go when you go to Uruguay, go hang out with our family. We'll take you in, you know? Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. During the Spanish Civil War, the couple went down to the docks to personally help Spanish exiles into the country, and they sent money to orphaned Republican children. And she just 
She lived a pretty long life. She, uh, she outlived her husband as classic form that, you know, yeah. women are pretty good at pulling that off. She died in obscurity thanks to the vagaries of Argentinian 20th century politics, um, which get so complex. And that whenever I talk about oh, like, God. oh, I'm doing this yeah. thing about Argentina, my friends are like, oh, God. And I'm like, no, it's before all that. <laughs> and they're like, wow, I don't know anything about Argentina before all that. And I don't know anything about the all that that I'm talking about vaguely, like the Peron and all that shit. I haven't researched enough yet. If, if, if you ever want someone to die, ask someone who knows what Peronism is and you will you will watch someone's head explode. It's he was like a lefty fascist, right? Oh, God, there's a total aside that I don't just say yes or no. Yeah. and we'll move on. <laughs> yes. Uh, OK, I, I, I am. OK, hold on. Hold on. No, yeah, I have, yeah, I have, it, I have, it, I have two grudges I need to settle right now. OK, which is that. OK, OK. Mia's about to make actionable claims against living existing people. No, the, the I think they're both dead. Okay. Okay. So I, I, I have I have a grudge. I have a very specific grudge against, against uh-huh. two academics. Uh-huh. Uh, one of them is an Argentinian academic. One of them is non uh Ernesto Leclau and Chantel Mouffe, okay. who are both the, these are they're, they're like they're they're the first of like the so called like post Marxist theorists. Okay. They're they're like the people who who their thing is we want left populism. And I fucking hate these people. Their work sucks. Their writing mm-hmm. is bad. Their tactics are bad. And these people started <laughs> as left Peronists. Terrible. Yeah, uh-huh. Worst okay. idea. Literally the worst idea anyone had, like after about 1970. This is this is the worst idea anyone on the left has ever had. Uh it's awful. They, they are they are like almost single-handedly responsible for like what happened to Podemos. Like they are they're they're they are like the premier theorist of of like 20th of failed 20th century left electoral movements like everyone that didn't work you can find Moof and leclau you can find their work behind it i hate these people i'm doing this now because i might never get another chance to air my grievances but i've been holding this for a long time yeah Yeah. like this is complete total aside i apologize for derailing the show for my grudges but however come (laughs) no uh you know, um, okay, let's get back to Argentina after the assassination. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I literally asked. I'm, I'm, and I'm like, when I learn more about this other shit, like, I think every now and then people are like, oh, Margaret knows all history. I feel like every person does history podcast gets this. And I'm like, no, I, yeah, everything yeah. I know about history, I've already said on air and then forgotten. So, yep. All that's left is like a vague, whatever. I'm, I don't think I'm like, okay. So 1910, the year after the explodies. Uh, that's what they called that period of time. They expo- that's not what they called it. By 1910, Argentina declares itself in a state of internal war, basically to stop the workers' movement. This is not actually a response to the assassination. It's a response to all these other major strikes and shit that keep happening. And you start getting these far-right militias of rich people who, like, burn the anarchist and socialist newspaper offices. The government Jesus suspends Christ. free speech. They suspend free press. They suspend free assembly. Formally, they're like, now we're done, Right. You all had your chance of freedom and you blew it. 2,000 anarchists are arrested or or deported. And that doesn't stop more and more radicals from showing up and throwing down. That's less than I thought it was going to be. So that's a... God, we're going to get to some higher numbers of arrests later. Okay. (laughs) Nine years later in the tragic week. So I'll just keep cliffhangering that. Um, But don't worry, that's actually going to be today. You don't have to wait till next week for that. I I don't know why you're excited about it. What's wrong with you? Why are you excited about the tragic week? Its other nickname is the bloody week. Why are you so violence-minded person who listens to a podcast about people who do good things and usually die. Well, anyway, they don't stop the movement completely, but they fuck up the movement. The government does. And everything is goes underground for a couple years. La Protesta tries to publish anyhow. I think this is when, like, this is one of the many times when La Protesta gets shut down and all the people end up working for Critica, I think. Um, both times, the police raid and shut it down and arrest the editors whenever they try and publish anyhow. Other editors got that shit going by 1913, and it stayed going, and then other papers keep it going all along. But basically, there's a period where you're like, all right, it's my turn to go edit an an episode, an issue of La Protesta, and then get deported. (laughs) Argentina is the most immigrant-full country in the world at this point. In 1914, foreigners make up 46.1% of the economically active population of which only 1.4% had become citizens. Wow. Meanwhile, there's the less radical syndicalist union, right? 
and they they finally join the anarchist union and for a little while you're like hooray like we're all friends again yeah. no they do it doing a classic thing called entryism they did oh, it no. as a specific tactic to come and fuck it up and they succeeded at that they uh they were absolutely the minority, but they did a bunch of weird bureaucratic shit and got Fora to move away from its explicit anarchist communism stance to to end up becoming their neutral syndicalism stance. The the thing that mm. hadn't won them any followers because no one wanted to do it. They were like, well, let's yeah. go where there are followers and force them to be like us. So the anarchists split off this time. They leave Fora and they form an organization called... You probably can't, but can you guess what they named their I, organization? I, I actually, I actually know this, so oh. I'm not going to say. Okay, <laughs> actually, although, although I, I, di- I didn't actually know that that was what happened with the forest split. I just had heard there was a split, and I was like, "Huh." Yeah, they. So the anarchists split off, and they form an organization called Fora. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they are some salty motherfuckers. Yeah, uh, the original Fora people, the anarchists, they're now a minority of them. Um, for the moment, the anarchists actually become a majority of the working class again soon in Argentina. But, and they call themselves, we're not going to ref, you don't have to, if you're like, I don't want to keep track of these weird splits, don't worry, you don't have to. I'm just going to complain about some shit. So the anarchists split off. They call themselves four of five after the fifth Congress in 1905 when yeah, they decided to become anarchists. Reading this history is so annoying. I know. I know. Because it's it's all anyone wants to talk about. It's like, yeah. uh, Yeah. No, and don't worry. I'm going to, I'm going to spare you all of that because this is a pop history. (laughs) That is what this podcast is. Because that's the way my brain works. And so then the liberal-ish Fora calls itself Fora 9 after the 9th Congress um, when they decide to become neutral. I think that's also the one where they go into space. No way. That's Fast and Furious. But whenever 4X <laughs> happens, um, this is like my pop culture reference of the day because I, I've actually only, I've only seen the one. first seven Fast and Furious movies. I'm not caught up. But anyway, I've had weird conversations about masculinity and transness in the Fast <laughs> and Furious movies, but that's not for here. There is an episode of a podcast called Anarcho Geek Power Hour that talks about that. If you want to hear two queer people talk about <laughs> the Fast and Furious movies and how it reflects on masculinity and, um, and things like that. So the two foras. There are some major and important ideological differences. It's not just we're salty, right? The Anarchist Federation, they're mostly the older folks and or they're immigrants. The Neutral Federation, at this point, more of them are native-born, and they allow their member unions to ban immigrants from joining. So you start Mm. seeing this thing where the unions are capable of being reactionary. They're capable of being nativist. Um, whereas that shit wouldn't fly under original fora. All this ties into the country's politics. For about 30 years, basically since Argentina was recognizably Argentina, there had been one party in charge, the National Autonomist Party. And you know that whenever you take a word that's kind of cool, like socialism or autonomism, and then you add national at the beginning, you know you get something bad. Yeah. <laughs> right? Basically, they're the let's like rob indigenous people exploit the workers and get rich as fuck party that's that's who started argentina much like who started the united states of america right and some for some weird reason this isn't very popular with the working class but you know what is popular with the working class ma'am is it the products and services that support the show that's right unless you can't afford them in which case steal them witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer songwriter and composer John Batiste the all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do every line curve and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right don't miss it mark your calendars and be the first to see it march 20th at 7 p.m eastern only on iHeartRadio's youtube channel save the date at new-qx80.com 2025 qx80 coming this summer 
The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. And we're back. So, in the early 1910s, there's universal male suffrage. And all the men can suddenly vote. And so they're like, let's get rid of the fucking autonomous, right? Or the national autonomous. I hate calling them autonomous because there's like cool people who call themselves yeah. autonomous, right? <laughs> yeah. Be like, let's get rid of the fucking Nazis, those socialists, you know? So, the radical civil union, civic union, which also does not deserve its name. But they're better, right? They're not whatever anyway yeah the the lefties get in the the liberals get in is a better way to put it the the middle class liberals they are the main opposition party they win by a landslide in 1916 they win by 33 points which is a lot wow. of points <laughs> that's right? wild yeah and this, that's a multi-party system too right i don't know the answer hey <laughs> <laughs> no i don't know um you mean is there like more than two parties running like there's more than t- yeah yeah i think i think there are but i who knows it's <laughs> I would believe you. This is the middle class party. It is the party for urban professionals and small business owners. And and they're like, well, we need to win over the working class. And or they just actually wanted to make things better for the working class. Either one of these is possible. So they they start throwing all these free parties and they're like feeding people and they open medical clinics. And these are good things, right? But they're still the government. And when the chips are down, they're going to do what governments do. And so the reason this is so important to the story, these are the people who are going to repress all of the wildest shit that's going to get repressed in Argentina over the next couple of years. Like, it's basically if Biden decided to murder a ton of people. So they start cozying up. The government starts cozying up to the less cool fora. That's how I'm going to refer to them instead of, I can't, if, if you mention two numbers to me, they're the same number. So the yeah. less cool fora. And soon the liberal run strikes stop having so much police repression while radical-run strikes get just as much police repression. Ah. The decade goes on. It's hard as fuck for everyone. But you know who else is hard as fuck? Is the Argentinian radicals. And then you get the tragic week. You know shit is bad when the two names for it in history are the tragic week and the bloody week. Late 1918, like December. Good good month. All the best stuff happens in December. Um. Yeah. People now know what astrological sign I am. Fuck. Okay. A bunch of anarchist metal workers go on strike. Their demands are incredibly minor by today's standards. These anarchists, they want wild shit. Do you know what they want? They want to only work eight hours a day for six days a week. Wow. Um, <laughs> incredible. <laughs> instead of what they're supposed to work, 11 hour work days for seven goddamn days a week. So they want that and they want decent pay and they want the re- they want the fired organizers the fi- the people who organized the strike they want them hired back right those are their fucking wild crazy demands i mean they actually also want society to be restructured completely without a state or capitalism but this is what they're fighting for this is what their demands are the supposedly radical government at this point is fucking terrified of the russian revolution that's happening and they're fucking terrified of it happening in Argentina. They are as fiercely, the liberal government is as fiercely anti-communist as anyone. And I'm pretty sure that the anti-Russian sentiment that they have was often specifically and directly anti-Semitic. There is this terror happening in Argentina of Ashkenazi Jews in particular, the dreaded Russian Jew. The right wing conflated the two so completely that they would just say death to the Russians to mean kill all the Jews. Jesus Christ. About 80% of the Russian population in Argentina at that time was Jewish. 
who were, you know, they'd fucking fled Russia because of pogroms, yeah. right? Yeah. So when the company that the metal workers are striking against, right, hires scabs, the the company is able to use its connections with the government, the the liberal government, to get weapons permits to arm the scabs. Jesus. The metal workers, they have the city's workers on their side. Railway workers stop unloading raw materials. Local shopkeepers start donating food and coal to the strikers. Because one thing that I keep running across in anarchist history is that, like, when you don't have the, like, specific weird class categorization obsession of Marxism, people are like, that's cool. Small business owners are whatever. I mean, it'd be better if they treat their employees okay, but, like, they're not our enemies, you know? And so I just, I run across this in history. I'm not trying to make a specific, well, whatever. I clearly, like, I think workers' cooperatives are great, but whatever. Anyway, local businesses donating. There is a standstill with the strike because both sides are fucking powerful, right? One side has the government arming them and the other side has the people. On January 7th, 1919, police escorted scabs to the factory. The only way to have a strike is to stop scabs from working. So the strikers tried to stop the scabs from working. They also probably overturned the chief of police's car and set it on fire. That is the, the right-wing account of the I story, mean, the, and I don't no, care. Nothing has ever changed about anarchists. Right, totally. <laughs> the police fired into the crowd and killed either four or five people. I've read both. And the city pours into the street for the funerals for these workers. Fora, the anarchist one, they call a general strike, and all the workers in the city are like, yeah obviously we're not going to fucking work for capitalist fucks who fucking murder us yeah. right yeah. this is the most complete general strike in all the general strikes of argentina's history uh, up to this point i don't know as much about i never people are like well, what do you what's your opinion on 21st century politics and i'm like i don't know everyone should do what they want because i don't know because i read history books all day because i have made good decisions with my life so they kind of take over buenos aires Barricades fly up, and for a brief moment, the city is in the hands of its workers. And no one doubted that it was a revolutionary moment on each side. So the ostensible liberal government is like, we don't want a revolutionary moment. So they just worked with the far right immediately, hand in hand, to, well, it's called the Bloody Week. Wherever in history you've got labor unions, it's not just the government doing the repression. It's right-wing goon squads of, like, civilians, right? We've got the Patriot... We've got Patriot Front and the Proud Boys. Argentina 19 had Liga Patriotica, the Patriotic League. This was an upper-class militia supported by the military, like, directly supported, a, a real admiral personally trained. And they did a pogrom. They went into the Jewish quarter and they raped and murdered. They, they burned books. They burned houses. They did a bunch of really specific humiliating and bad things. I'm not going to repeat on this show. They also joined the cops in the military and the rest of the city fighting against the workers, which is, these are mixed up, right? Because the Jews are workers too, right? Yeah. But it was a specific anti-Semitic attack with the government's approval that it did a pogrom. And... I'm actually kind of mad at a lot of the anarchist history about this. When you talk, when you read the tragic week from a lot of the like mid 19th century, uh, sorry, mid 20th century history books about it, they don't mention the anti-Semitism of the program. And that's fucked up. Yeah. This is the first time I'd heard of it and I'd read a few things about it. Yeah. They, however, the main source of history outside of that, if you want to learn about the tragic week is from um, folks who fight anti-Semitism who've, you know, yeah. refer to this as Argentina's first pogrom. It wasn't just the right-wing fucks who were doing this. The liberal government arrested one of the heads of the Jewish labor bund and tortured him and forced him to, like, confess his Bolshevik plans of evil where the Jews were going to take over Argentina in the new Russian revolution yeah. or whatever. Um, his wife was arrested and her charges were, as best as I can tell, her charges were being the fiancé of the future president of the local Soviet, having too many books, and being Russian. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So the only thing that kept Buenos Aires from becoming a worker-run horizontal society in 1919 was the raw and brutal mass murder and arrest, one that used the oldest trick in the book, anti-Semitism, 
to rile people up for reactionary violence. This pogrom was called La Casa de los Rosos, uh, the hunting of the Russians. And this is the birth of the nationalist movement that later takes power, what Argentina is like way more famous for. I wish Argentina was more famous for having one of the most kick-ass yeah. anarchist fucking movements in the history yeah. of the world. The death toll from this week was estimated by conservatives at 141. It was estimated at 700 by the leftists. The U.S. Embassy says 1,500 people. Uh, most historians seem to stick around 700 unless you look at like specifically right-wing stuff. Mm. I don't know why the U.S. Embassy overestimated over everyone else. They do that a lot. Okay. And I don't know. Like, this is the thing. I, I ran into this randomly with like a lot of other things where the American numbers will just randomly be high. And I, I don't know what's going on. I They might just be incompetent because this is the... Everything's bigger in Texas. Know, like, <laughs> meets death toll yeah, numbers. It's like, <laughs> like this period from like here through like the end of the 40s is a thing where you get very weird numbers from the Americans for reasons I... I who knows? I know. And, Run by cowboys. Like, yeah, and there's like, I'm sure the Americans had some specific plan that's like outside the scope of what I was able to research. You know? Yeah. Okay, so about 700 people were killed, almost all of them um, workers. A couple cops were killed. Uh, most of the workers who were killed were Jewish. And a lot of the people who were killed who were Jewish were not necessarily leftists. Also, over 50,000 people were arrested during this week. Argentina during this time period, it's not a populous country. There were about 8 million people in the country total. I couldn't figure out the population of Buenos Aires at the time. I, but 50,000 people is a fucking army. Like, yeah. I've been in some mass arrests. <laughs> they, they were an order of magnitude, two orders of magnitude lower than that, you know? Yeah, like, the, the the thing I was thinking of, like, my, my immediate thing for, like, okay, how large is the mass arrest was there was an arrest of, like, a, a, a I think, like, a pretty similar size number of people get arrested, like, at the end of the 70s in Italy. Okay. Because there's a bunch of stuff, like, anarchist stuff going on there, too. And they arrest a similar number of people, but Italy has, like, I, like, Italy has, like, 50 million people. Yeah. <laughs> at that point. Yeah. So, it's, like, it's, like, the equivalent eight of times. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, jeez. So they just arrest Buenos Aires is what they do. Yeah. Um, and for decades, the government held the position that they had averted a Bolshevik anarchist takeover by killing all these people. And at first I was like, Bolshevik anarchist takeover. And then I'm like, well, eh, that early on in the Bolshevik revolution. Okay, whatever. Those, those two sides were on the same side for a little while. But yeah, they, they were like, we saved the country from communism. And I mean, whatever. It didn't help that the Catholic Church had been spent decades spreading anti-Semitic propaganda in the country, including writing it directly into the textbooks for schools. Oh, Jesus. Which is funny, because the Catholic, the Catholic Church's books were like, Jews are all usurers and moneylenders, right? And then the Catholic street preachers were like, all the Jews are bad because they're all Bolsheviks. Because you can't fucking win. You're either an anti-capitalist or a capitalist. You're a Schrodinger's capital. I don't know. It's bad. It, Anti-Semitism's bad. Of course, the 150,000 Jews in Argentina at that time were all over the map politically because they were yeah. people. And people, famously, all <laughs> yeah. over the map politically. There were even a bunch Do who fucking... Do not agree with each other. Yeah. There were a bunch who, after this, joined Liga Patriotica. Like... And every, all the other Jews were like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, every other part of the political spectrum was like, you're, you're dead to us, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, in case you were wondering, this tragic week, which was really bad, surely all the weird propaganda about that's over now, right? Oh, God. Enter English language Wikipedia article about tragic week. Oh! Oh, no. It is all... The workers had it coming, and it like lists all the like the anarchists must have been must be stopped. You know, uh, it is completely useless as a source. Some of my favorite lines include, "quote A company of the Seventh Infantry Regiment is forced to use their Vickers machine guns in order to keep demonstrators at bay in Buenos Aires. They were forced to oh. machine gun a crowd." Oh, 
And also, as the toll of dead and wounded mounted, the mobs became more frantic and destructive. No shit! You killed all my friends! I'm gonna get angrier. Yeah, I, this is one of those things where, you know, if you're looking at like, okay, the, the, this is this is the liberal government doing this, and you, you get to this point where it becomes incredibly clear that like, be, beneath everything else, these people have exactly one political principle, and that political principle is that capitalists should own factories, yeah. and you should have to work in them, totally. and you know, they will start writing about like, like they will start doing justifications of people like machine gunning workers in the streets. They will start yeah. doing pogroms. They will like yeah. literally anything. Yeah. Like, you know, regardless of what their sort of previous political principles were, everything just flies out the window the moment anyone is like, hey, maybe like we should have the factories, the people who work in them yeah. instead of the people who own them. Yeah, totally. <sighs> we might do a better job. The economy would literally yeah. go up and people are like, yeah, but. I have like a hundred thousand acres and I want to keep it. So I know I said I was center left, but these far right guys will just go kill you because of your ethnicity and I get to keep my factory. That's the tragic week and it sucks and it, it lays down the groundwork for what's to come when the rebellion goes rural off to the steps where we get to see even more wildly interesting folks do wildly interesting things, which we'll talk about next week. Eh? Eh? Cliffhanger part three, Boom. even the cliff. It's, you're still hanging from it. I know. <laughs> you think you've gotten off, but no, it's still, there's still more cliff. I'm just sitting there with the two by four, like that meme where the actor is like, ah, fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, no, wait, no, I want people hanging on the cliff. I don't want to drop them to the rocks below. Never mind. What is the metaphor of cliffhangers weird? Oh, it's because at the end of that, right. If, you, if I was like, and then he's hanging on a cliff, will he survive? That's the traditional. Well, d during the tragic week, Simon Radowitzki broke out of prison and was literally hanging from a cliff. Will he survive? <laughs> we will find out next week on cool people who did cool stuff. But what we'll find out first is more about you and your podcast or anything else that you feel like plugging oh yeah yeah i do i do have another podcast that i'm mostly doing uh it's called it could happen here it's about stuff that happens here you know i mm -hmm. really mean in the broader sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean some sometimes it is about similar stuff to this too but yeah, you can find us wherever there are podcasts. Um, you can find us at Happen Here, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I've I realize I've never actually plugged the thing where there's an Apple Podcast thing where if you don't want to listen to ads, you can get that. And then oh you yeah, to listen to oh ads yeah, Cooler anymore. Zone. Yeah, so so you can do that. Yeah. Uh, cool Zone Media. Yeah, I don't hear Reagan coins anymore. Yeah, that's what I got. Uh, other than I guess. Uh, Fear the hour of the machine gun that comes when <laughs> you and your bosses have a disagreement about who should control factories. <laughs> yeah. They did loot a bunch of sports stores to get guns at the very beginning of it all. That's like part of the justification too, right? What do I have to plug? I want to plug that in any conflict between an oppressed and oppressor, it is important to understand which side is the oppressed and understand their actions through that lens. And yes, I'm not even vaguely talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I'm talking about it explicitly because it is harder and harder to talk about that explicitly. And I want to say that explicitly. And I want to say that you do not have to condone and you can even condemn the actions, some specific actions by oppressed people without dropping support for oppressed people who are fighting for freedom. And specifically, uh, if you're in a place that is safe and you can financially can, there's a lot of different charities that specifically work for the people who are being uh, even further dispossessed within the Gaza Strip. Um, and, you know, like literally just getting food to children. And that is a, a fundamentally good thing to do regardless of anything else is that um, the literal point of children is that they are innocent and uh, need to be fed. So I would um, direct anyone who cares about this kind of stuff. I just kind of wanted to say that explicitly in case anyone 
there's like some confusion yeah. on the left about which side is the oppressed and which side is the oppressor. And that is an incorrect confusion to have. And if you want to listen to more about that, you can listen to content from this network that Shireen does on Mia's podcast. It could happen here. That's what I want to plug. Sophie, what do you got? Cool. Nothing. See y'all next week. Bye-bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.